This is DevHops, the podcast that usually talks about all things software development and application modernization. But this week's episode is a little different. We're talking about the modernization of virtual training. I'm your host, Noel Wurst, and I recently had the pleasure of attending Training 2016, the annual conference put on by Training Magazine. I went to a ton of great sessions at the show and had the chance to sit down and interview a handful of speakers while I was there. I brought along SkyTap Cloud Solutions architect Sudesh Gurdhari to meet and help me interview the owner and chief learning officer of Learning Rebels, Shannon Tipton. Shannon was at Training 2016 to present her session, Creating Your 21st Century Toolbox, which she gave to a standing room only crowd. And she was kind enough to sit down with Sudesh and myself while at the show to dive into what a 21st century toolbox looks like and the rise of the importance of accessibility and letting go of training ownership. So sit back, thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoy the show. So your your session here at the show is called Creating Your 21st Century Toolbox, and uh, just to get things started, I was curious as to what is your definition of a 21st century toolbox? What does that look like, and why maybe does it do they need updating? Like, what about them had become maybe the, in need of some uh, modernization, if you will? Mm-hmm. Your typical trainer's toolbox, when you think about it, is you reach into your bag of tricks, you pull out your typical icebreaker, you know, <laughs> who here has worked for more than 20 years, and, you know, yada, yada type of stuff. And then you have your your flip charts and your markers and all those other sorts of activities that go along, which are still relevant today if you're doing um, uh, instructor-led training. However, that now, today, needs to be augmented. And we need to include tools that will engage the learner before, during, and after the training session occurs, as well as to continue to move that learning throughout the organization so that the information is sustainable and it's evergreen. It continues to grow, you know, as the learning progresses. So the learning doesn't stop. Learning doesn't stop when you exit the training room. It continues to grow, and it should continue to grow. So within your toolbox, what are you doing to ensure that that occurs? What sort of collaborative tools are you using? What sort of curation tools are you using? What sort of communication tools are you using? And in the session that we will be having tomorrow, we're talking about how do you connect all of those three different types of tools to really build a robust toolbox that will indeed keep the learning sticky and continue to grow your organization. Do you see maybe the social tools that people use commonly, like the LinkedIn's, the Twitters, the um, the Facebooks, as being one of the ways that you know that folks curate what's most interesting and also what's most timely, right, mm-hmm. for a continuous training yeah. approach? Um, now, one of the challenges that I, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys probably have faced this, is that you get so much information, right? Right, and what's the the filter there? So I, I kind of would say, you know. Thinking about the evergreen, sort of keeping things fresh and continuously delivering that stuff um, from a training perspective, where 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 do you where does your your mind go around filtering for the right solutions, that type of stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question, and 
when you're talking about curation, you're talking about being able to review, vet information, and not be necessarily a hoarder, you know, of a billion pieces of information. You know, you really want to be able to do your research once it comes in. And that's where tools like Pocket or Instapaper or Feedly, that's where those sorts of tools really come in handy because you can then choose what information gets filtered to you. You can then review it and then send it back out again. So you have a tool like that, which essentially becomes your middleman. Right, exactly. So it's your content manager, if you will, to a certain degree. Feedly is a beautiful tool for that because you can categorize, you can keyword, you can tag, and then you can send out links to certain pieces of information itself. You know, it's a very robust tool to help you. Think about dynamic training, not just hoard information. My world, I put that into really curated virtual training model. Uh, asynchronous self-directed self art gallery. You know, so we're not plunking people down in front of a computer and forcing them to take so you know, hours worth, <laughs> hours worth of learning yeah. or putting them into a classroom. And as not a, to say that those modalities to take pieces don't of information fit any longer they in such a way that it tells a story and it drives the learning But for the most part, I find that people want learning when they need it. Flipboard, etc. will help put information in front of people when they need to have it, when the organization needs them to have it. Right. That becomes critical. So here's my example for you. Mm -hmm. um, not too long ago, it's a personal example of the last time that I worked for an organization, and I worked for an organization that was holiday sensitive. So information needed to be out at Christmas. Now, Christmas doesn't change. It's the same date every year, okay? So an emergency, if you will, did come up where new information needed to be out before Thanksgiving so that it would be in time for Christmas. So what do you do? You only have a week, right? That this falls on my desk. So what we did is that we created micro bits of video. Mm -hmm. And we did not plug it into the LMS because that would be problematic because that means that people had to jump through firewalls in order to get yeah. it. So you put it outside of that into a safer environment when that is still protected, you yeah. know, to a certain degree. But we didn't link them together. So you go out and you needed to find that nugget of information within that video. So each video was maybe two to three minutes long. So you go in and you find exactly what you need. You watch the video and you're out. Yeah. You know, so it's not unlike what YouTube does today. Mm -hmm. You know, when you need information, you go in there, you search for it, you find it, you watch it, you go. And that is exactly what we did at that time. And it didn't take us long to do it. And you don't have to be Spielberg mm -hmm. in order to make it happen. You just need to make it accessible. So sometimes accessibility trumps quality. To a certain degree, you know, because you can have the best content in the world, but if people can't find it and if people can't get to it, what use is it? Right. Yeah. So that again comes back to being able to curate that information appropriately and then communicate it out to make sure that people know where they can find it at a drop of a hat. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that's that's a uh, that, that's. That's really interesting. Um, so does accessibility mean to you not only being able to find the information, but being authorized to, to, to get to it? And then I guess my, my question there is one more of, you know, it, I guess, is training or learning um, supposed to be behind a lock and key in some, in some instances, right? And that's, yeah, no, yeah no. okay, yeah. All right, let's.
good. Oh, so one of my questions was going to be what makes a course learner-centric, but I think we've already kind of answered that. It's that accessibility. It's you know, providing them, you know, giving it to them in a way that they can consume it quickly, if that's an option, right. um, to where it's not going to you know, cause them to have disrupt their entire day, right. have trouble getting to it. It's that accessibility, easy to consume. Right. Um, so, so is there any challenge as, as to making self-directed courses, in particular learner-centric, um, versus... Um, I guess, or does self-directed training make it easier to make it learner-centric? In, in your opinion, it, it does make it easier. Um, when you're making self-directed learning, you always have the end user or your customer in mind, you know, or you should anyway. And of course, it should meet some sort of learning purpose goal. And when you have those two criteria, when I'm thinking of you, when I'm creating the self-directed <coughs> learning, and I'm thinking of the overall business goal or your goal for the learning then it becomes an easy it becomes an easy do and especially when you're doing it in such a way that the self-directed is um, it's perhaps dropped so I've got five lessons on how to use Excel you, just to throw an example out five lessons on how to, to use Excel here's the link for it you can take lesson one when you feel like it you can take lesson five when you feel like it and that in of itself makes it learner centric because I put control of learning into your hands mm -hmm. not in mine it, I don't own it and nor should I yeah. you own your own learning and so when you put self-directed learning into that context mm -hmm. then it becomes even more successful it becomes more impactful mm -hmm. because you then are going to connect more strongly with the learning that's coming in front of you yeah. I've chosen I've chosen this yeah. and that's why it's going to stick even further yeah that's interesting because um, we had a conversation I think it was um, yesterday with AJ and we had a very similar talk drive okay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, um, and uh, we uh, we we had gone back and forth about um, this kind of you know it's interesting it's the nexus of the learner right because is the is the learner um, motivated to get the content you know that they're that, that they're actually really interested in and then I think that the second part of that is you know does the learner get what they need from the content at the time they need it, right? Because that's like a, that's a whole triangle that's kind of mm -hmm. formed around the learner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now that, that does bring up an interesting point is that, and, and this is something we discussed briefly yesterday as well, is that it, it creates some cha challenging operational goals for learning organizations that are not used to this paradigm. Yeah, the control. it's the control, right? right? Isn't that isn't that what? It is. So uh, you know how? I guess one of my questions that did I would be curious about is like, how do they go about sort of getting or going through the process of creating this like new new organization, and um, what are some of those key steps for them along that path? Right. Okay. So what I would recommend to anyone who who wants to go down this path and should really go down this path. Uh, we, we need to give up the idea of ownership of learning. We really do. We need to change our focus for this. Uh, the way to start doing this is first to just start. You just jump right on in. The water's nice and warm. So just jump right on in. But first what I would recommend is when you're starting to pilot some sort of asynchronous self-directed type of modality is to start it with a pilot group. So have your goal well set. What is it that you're trying to achieve? Or, or really, with self-directed learning, it's all about what problem are you trying to solve? 
okay? Because that's why people go to YouTube, right? I have a problem. I need to solve it. So I'm here. And so start thinking about what problem is the big pain point in your organization or within people within your organization. Then create a pilot group. 10 people, 15 people. Create something, send it out to them, let them pilot it through, let them debug it, let them give you feedback, as in the um, keynote today, mm -hmm. you know, build that brain trust of people who are smarter than you. Yeah. And let them pick the content apart and then come back to you. And then they'll tell you, you know, what was intriguing, what fell flat, video didn't work, or what have you. Yeah. And then you build it out that way. And then you continue to roll it through. It's kind of like a snowball effect, right? And the mm -hmm. more you roll it forward, the bigger it gets. And, yeah. and you want to build word of mouth. Yeah. And so through that, you're building word of mouth, word of mouth and people become more excited. Oh, I want to be part of that. Oh, I want to be part yeah. of that. You know, but first, let go of the control. You cannot <laughs> control it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the toughest, that's an internal conversation that L&D people need to have. Yeah, because I, I really feel that sometimes you know, a lot of the, the, the reason for the control comes from maybe like a budgetary you know, worry that they want to maintain their budgets. And this, time, this type of paradigm really is changing like, you know, mm -hmm. the way that an organization works. But, you know, what's an interesting kind of aside there as well is that you know you're also thinking about well if you're not going to provide them the content they need when they need it right they're going to go find it someplace else, they are absolutely and, and if that's not your internal training organization then you have a bigger problem now, that which exactly is, which is you you've know, got bigger issues yeah you've got bigger so, issues and some of the feedback that i get is that how can i trust them to take the course if trust is an issue you've got bigger issues yeah yeah. within your organization because we have to start from a place of trusting people yeah you know trusting them to put th their learning into their own hands mm -hmm. you know so i think that if that's your kickoff concern right. that i don't trust yeah. then you've got bigger issues as an organizational culture <coughs> yeah. you know that this conversation here is not going to solve right right that's a that's a really kind of a, i think a key yeah um you know, so one of the things that I, I particularly have to deal with, so, you know, in my position as basically a, a solutions architect as well as kind of a business development function, um, I, have to, I have to work through pretty complicated learning and training scenarios, right? So someone may, someone may understand what they want as their outcome, but they may not understand how to get there. And so often I have to learn about their technology set really quickly, and I have to do a lot of pulling to get that information, right? So I may contact folks in my organization, I may reach outside of my organization. Um, and, and I think that, you know, one of the, I think one of the things that I, I would be curious if you've had to deal with this is, is that it, are there modalities or are there approaches that really do emphasize self-directed learning effectively because sometimes some of the stuff I do I don't get the right response right hey do you understand how this this widget out in the world works no I don't understand how that widget works go ask 10 other people right and other times I'll I'll get a dissertation from a college thesis you know and I'll say well this is really great that they tried 10,000 widgets at one time but I only need one widget 10 times right right you know that sort of thing um, so what what are your thoughts on that the, the, the kind of the learner how does the learner kind of effectively adapt to getting that content? Because there's two sides of the coin, right? There's right. the organizational side, and then there's the, the, learn, the learner side. So, right. Yeah. Uh, that's really where content design mm -hmm. comes into play, easeability. Okay. Um, so for example, there's two uh, methods uh, that I prefer to yeah. drop 
self-directed learning. Um, one is through a traditional blog. And people, and this is about taking tools that we don't traditionally think yeah. in that way yeah. and using it in a different way. Okay. Okay, so let's just think about WordPress for a second, you know, or blog or any one of those blogging yeah, tools. Um, so you put up a lesson on a blog site. You have a video, you have your lesson, you have a worksheet that you use as a downloadable, and then you keep the comment section open. Okay, so lesson one becomes, you know, how to turn the widget. Here's your video on how to turn the widget. Here's your download that is a checklist for the widget. Okay, so then those comments then become, all right, did you find this worksheet helpful? You know, what troubles did you have? But you have to seed that, and sometimes you have to go beyond it and get your champions and have them ask questions so that other people, nobody wants to be the first person. Right, so... Um, and you have them come in and ask questions so that way you can respond to them. So using a blog format because people are used to that. Yeah. So they're used to seeing that. They know how they operate. They know how they work. They know how they function. Yeah. So you're essentially fishing where the fish are. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. the second part, the, the second tool that you can use is you can do this by drop lessons. Yeah. So, and that is through using a newsletter format. Mm. So a tool like Constant Contact or yeah. MailChimp or something mm. like that. So the same sort of design methodology there. Yeah. You've got a video, you've got a lesson, you have a link, you have a downloadable, and you send it via email. And you can automate that. So as soon as I see that you've opened it, I can send you lesson two. Yep. And as soon as you open that, I can send you lesson three. And that becomes automated. So the speed and purpose of the lesson becomes, again, in the hands of the learner, not of mine. Huh. That's a great, that, that is okay. a great way to think about yeah. it. Yeah. And so yeah. it's using traditional tools in a different way. Yeah. yeah. That was our chat with Shannon Tipton and part of what made Training 2016 so great to be a part of. I want to thank Shannon for her time at the show, and I encourage you to visit her website, learningrebels.com, to see what she's up to, check out the workshops they offer, and more. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the DevOps Podcast. You can check out our previous episodes on soundcloud.com or visit the SkyTap blog. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on DevOps.